Well, this morning we are uh, concluding our summer series called The Gospel According to Pixar. hope you've enjoyed the series. I really have enjoyed the series. Uh, and during the series, we've been viewing some of our favorite Pixar movies through the lens of faith. Uh, so as Christians, we want to be in the world, but not of the world. So we've been considering these movies as Christians. Do they have anything to teach us, anything to learn from? Is there anything Christian about them or, or not? Uh, last week, Skylar talked about Monsters, Inc. This morning, we're going to wrap up my talking about the movie Wally. Now, while it came out in 2008, it was written and directed by Andrew Stanton. The movie is set in the far future. Uh, Earth has become uninhabitable uh, due to rampant consumerism and environmental destruction. Uh, the megacorporation, by and large, which is, by and large, responsible for much of the devastation, has actually evacuated Earth's citizens on large space liners. While humanity is floating ensconced in the comforts of space, by and large promises to use an army of robots to clean up all the trash. The company realizes that the job is too big, though, and that Earth cannot sustain life anymore, so they actually just order the ships to stay away. That's actually all backstory to the film. The movie actually opens in the 29th century, 700 years after humanity has left the planet. It follows a lone robot dutifully cleaning up the trash. His name is Wally, which stands for Waste Allocation Load Lifter Earth Class. Uh, Wally is the sole robot left doing his job, boxing garbage up while pulling out trinkets and collectibles that he finds especially interesting. Now, as you can imagine, Wally is very lonely. He's been working very hard by himself for a very, very, very long time. His favorite thing to do is actually to watch an old... VHS tape of the musical Hello Dolly, in which he watches people sing and dance and sometimes even sings and dances along with them. And when the leading man and woman sing to each other and hold hands, Wally's eyes get really big and his hands start grasping for another hand to hold. Then, one day, as if sent from the heavens, a sleek and shiny new girl robot descends from the sky. Her name is Eve, extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator. Eve has been sent by the human ships from space to search for evidence that life is sustainable and that humans can come home. Despite a rocky introduction, Eve and Wally make a connection. Wally shows Eve all his collectibles, all his trinkets, and even shows her a small plant that he has rescued from the soil. At seeing this vegetation, Eve actually goes into high alert, seizing and storing the plant. She is then uh, uh, collected by the spaceship uh, with Wally tagging along, and they find themselves on the Axiom, a large cruise liner where humans have been living in space for seven centuries. Over the years, humanity has grown fat and lazy, moving around in floating chairs, communicating to each other on screens. Can you picture that, right? <laughs> Unhealthy people sitting around all day just talking to each other, people, others on screens. Also, people have forgotten about Earth. They have no memory of the place. They are cared for by robots who attend to their every need. But upon the discovery that life might be possible on, on Earth, the captain of the ship wants to return. But the robots uh, on the ship, they actually refuse to take the ship back home. So begins an epic struggle between an army of fat and lazy humans led by Wally and Eve and their captain and their artificially intelligent caregivers. 
Now, now, Wally was a hit when it came out. Uh, it made gobs of money. It wowed audiences and critics alike. In my opinion, it's one of Pixar's most creative, moving films. It won tons of awards for its animation, for its uh, storyline, for its message. Time magazine actually called Wally the best film of the decade in the aughts. And the BBC has ranked Wally as the 29th best film of the 21st century so far. I'll agree with all that. I love Wally. Uh, it became my favorite Pixar movie this week as I was watching it, doing research. Uh, I could watch it all day. I mean, it makes me laugh, it makes me cry, it makes me think, it makes me dream, it makes me repent. I mean, how many movies, animated movies, no, no less, uh, make you want to live your life differently? But the thing that I really like about this movie is all the religious symbolism. Andrew Stanton is, is a Christian, the, the writer of the movie, is a Christian who talks openly about the, the movie's religious themes, and Wally is filled with them. I mean, the movie is an Adam Eve story, and it doesn't even pretend to be subtle. One of the lead characters is named Eve. Uh, Stanton said he was trying to find a way to name Wally Adam, but he couldn't quite get the acronym right, <laughs> so he settled on Wally. Now, of course, maybe you don't even know who Adam and Eve are. Now, Adam and Eve are the first two humans in the Bible. The book of Genesis records that after God created the heavens and the earth, and after he made the earth habitable, he created a man from the dust. The man's name was Adam, which means earth. And then Genesis says that the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So Adam got to work caring for the earth, but God could tell that something was wrong. What was wrong? He was all alone. He had nobody to hold hands with, nobody to sing and dance with. So what did God do? God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. And God made for Adam a sleek, shiny, curvy new person named Eve, which means life. So Mr. Earth and Mrs. Life did what God gave them to do in the garden. They cared for little seedling plants together while holding hands. The movie Wally gets so much of the creation story right. Uh, for example, when you're watching the movie, you're actually feeling Wally's loneliness before Eve arrives. In fact, my, my old friend Will, uh, I remember when he took his, his young son Jackson, who was like three years old, to go see the movie Wally when it first came out. Uh, Will tells me that, that Jackson was so sad at watching Wally like roam around the planet alone that he kept interrupting the movie, asking his dad, Will, uh, Dad, where's Wally's mom? Wally needs his mom. Wally needs his mommy to come give him a hug. So you feel Wally's loneliness, and you know that it's not right, it's not good. In fact, one of the linguistic themes of the creation story is gen in Genesis is that God creates something and he calls it good, right? God creates the sky and he calls it good. God creates the ducks and he calls them good. And then God creates the man and what does he say? Not good. <laughs> not because it's a man, <laughs> but because it's only a man. It's not good for a man to be alone. That's what he says. And yet... So many of us try to live our lives alone, even though it's not good. How so? Lots of ways we try to live our lives alone. I mean, fewer and fewer people are getting married these days. Marriage rates in the United States are at an all-time low. 
Uh, in America, only 6.8 people out of 1,000 are tying the knot, compared to over 16 out of 1,000 at the height of the baby boom. This is the marriage rate in our country. But it's not just marriage. We have fewer friends these days. In the past 20 years, uh, the rate of friendship has plummeted. Uh, in 1993, 3% of all Americans said that they had no close friends. 20 years later, 12% of Americans said they have no close friends. In 1990, 33% of Americans said they had at least 10 or more close friends. That figure has dropped 20 years later. Only 13% of Americans said they have more than 10 friends. More and more of us are living life alone. A COVID isn't helping this, of course, right? COVID has forced a lot of us into a prolonged isolation that is not good for us. But the trends of isolation and loneliness were long around before the virus arrived. And it's not good. We can't be happy alone. Can't be productive alone. We can't realize our divine potential alone. We're at our worst when we're alone. A book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament says it well. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. But God sees us in our loneliness. He sees us trying to clean up the planet by ourselves. He sees us holding our own hands at night. He knows it's not good. So what does God do? Well, he sends us eaves. He sends us people, friends, spouses, churches, small groups, pastors. God doesn't want us to be lonely. Now, our eaves don't just magically fall from the sky. They don't just arrive and politely ask us to marry them or, or be their friends. It doesn't work like that. Marriage is hard. Friendship is hard. Church relationships are hard. They take work and risk and time. As you have to keep pushing in and going deeper, they take courage and vulnerability. In fact, after God had given Eve to Adam, uh, the author of Genesis writes that Adam and his, e and his wife, Adam and his Eve, Adam and his wife were, were both naked. They felt no shame. This is a, a, a beautiful verse about intimacy and relationships. And it's not just about marriage, and it's not just about physical intimacy either. It's about vulnerability in relationships. True connectivity in relationships requires us being willing to be ourselves, to be naked with someone who might reject us or embarrass us or shame us. That's hard, and it's rare. Just because we have people in our lives doesn't mean that we have true friends with whom we can be vulnerable. I know a lot of very popular people who are actually very lonely, Speaking personally, I've got an abundance of good friends in my life. I am blessed with many good friends. Thankfully, my wife is one of them. And I do not take that for granted because I know a lot of spouses who actually don't like each other. But part of the reason I'm so blessed with so many friends is that we together have worked hard to practice this type of vulnerability. We aren't afraid to be naked. We aren't afraid to say the hard or the awkward thing that we're not really sure how to say, but we know we should probably try to say it. My, me and my friends have a lot of these conversations. I'm not sure what the... But we know we need to have them. And I love this about Willie. Uh, Willie. Wally. <laughs> I love this about Wally. He was awkward. He was an awkward robot. Lack of social skills. But that, that's what happens when you're alone by yourself for 700 years. He wasn't afraid to look silly 
in order to be known. And he was persistent. Eve, Eve kept blowing him off, but while he kept pushing forward, he was that desperate for connection. I mean, he had been alone on a planet for 700 years. He was desperate. My question for you is, how desperate are you? How lonely are you really? How satisfied with the level of vulnerability and connectivity are you in your relationships? Are you desperate enough to do something? Are you desperate enough to, to schedule a meeting with a counselor to talk about your relationship struggles? Are you desperate enough to, to say hi to someone in church that you like, keep seeing month after month after month but you've never really gotten to know? Are you desperate enough to call up an old friend and, and talk? Are you desperate enough to tell your spouse, I don't feel like we're connecting lately and I don't know what's going on, but we should talk about it, shouldn't we? God doesn't want you to be lonely. It's not good that you are. So he has sent people in your life to get to know. You are surrounded by opportunities to get to know people. He is, I mean, look around you. Look around you. The room is packed. You are surrounded with, you are surrounded with Eve's and potential friends and people to get to know. But you've got to reach out through the awkwardness. You've got to make it happen. So I love this about Wally. It reminds us of our basic origins as a species made for vulnerable companionship as we hold hands together, caring for God's earth. Having said all that, as much as I like some of the religious symbolism of Wally, I do have some major theological quibbles with it. And I know it's important not to overthink Pixar movies. I mean, it's just a cartoon movie about a robot. But what am I to you, except if I'm overthinking things? <laughs> and I actually think this is an important point worth making. You see, while Wally is an Adam and Eve story, it's another type of story as well. It's also a Noah story. Maybe you know who Noah was. Noah was the ninth descendant of Adam. According to Genesis, in the early history of, of, of Earth, humanity got off track very badly and very early. And through their own disobedience, they became a corrupt and violent species. In Genesis chapter 6, the author writes this, Now the earth was corrupt and God's sight was full of violence. It was so bad, in fact, that God decides to start over again with a new Adam, a new humanity. Who was the new Adam? Noah. The Bible says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So if you're a reader and you're reading the book of Genesis, you're, you're thinking, oh my gosh, another, another shot here, another opportunity to get it right. Noah was a righteous man. Maybe he will succeed where Adam failed. So what does God tell Noah to do? Well, God tells Noah to build an ark, an arky ark. Put your family on the ark, put some animals, and I'm going to flood the earth. We're going to start over. That's what God says. That's what God does. He floods the earth, destroying its wickedness, its violence. Noah and his family float along in the ark, waiting for the signal that it's okay to come out. Eventually, they get their signal. A dove brings back an olive branch, and they know that it's okay to open up the doors of the ship and start again. Wally tells that story. You see, if Wally and Eve are Adam and Eve figures, uh, the captain of the Axiom, a man named Captain B. McRae, is a Noah-like figure on his own ark, waiting for the chance to start again. 
He even receives his own little olive branch. Wally and Eve bring him a little plant. So the captain decides it's time to go back. He leads his army of obese, lazy human beings back to earth to start again. He opens up the ark. But as much as I like the religious imagery, this is where the movie really goes off the rails for me. I mean, first, really? I mean, do we honestly think that this group of sedentary flesh blobs who can barely walk have even the slightest chance of rebuilding a civilization on a planet that is barely alive? I mean, they've never even used their legs. In fact, in an interview, uh, the director, Andrew Stanton, said that he knew audiences would think this at the end of the movie. He knew that people would be skeptical that these human beings could live again on Earth. He knew that. So he and the Pixar team actually added scenes to the credits showing humanity working together with robots to rebuild the Earth. As the credits roll, we see happy scenes and uh, pictures of, of, of people cleaning Earth up and recolonizing it and recreating it as a happy place. But this is my even bigger quibble with the movie, though. On this point, Wally gets the religious imagery very, very wrong. What I mean is, what happens after Noah and his family get off the boat? Is it a happy ending? Absolutely not. After God destroys the earth and resets humanity, people fall into the same basic violent patterns. Noah turns into a drunk and his own family falls into terrible sexual sin. Descendants of Noah form rival nations that kill and destroy each other. They screw up their second chance. You see, the story of the Bible is not that we need a second chance. The story of the Bible is that no matter how many chances humans get to restart, we just end up screwing it up again. Why? Because we're that corrupt. Noah isn't any different from Adam. Abraham isn't any different from Noah. David isn't any different from Abraham. This is what I thought when I watched Wally. Why would we think that humans would get things right the second time around? Not only is that completely real, unrealistic, but it's not the story of the Bible. The story of Scripture is that no matter how many second chances we get, we give in to violence and greed, and we destroy the earth one more time. Now, of course, that would not have been a very entertaining Pixar movie. <laughs> a pessimistic animated films usually do not succeed at the box office. But it does raise an important theological question. The question is, so what's it going to take? If we're caught in a cycle of violence, immorality, and sin, what's it going to take to break the cycle? What needs to change for our world to end differently? That's a big question. And it's an important one. You see, everyday humanity tries to do it again. We try to be good again. We try to realize our potential again. We try again to not make the mistakes of the past. We try again to save the earth. We try again to spread democracy. I, I mean, how many times have nations invaded Afghanistan to try and make it into a modern nation? How many times have we tried and failed? Every day, humanity tries again. You and I do too. 
Every day we try again. Every day we, we, we get up and we try to stop being greedy today. I'm going to not be a racist today. I'm going to stop drinking today. I'm not going to watch porn today. Every day we try to be a better parent. I'm going to be a better spouse today. We give ourselves lots and lots and lots of second chances. But just like Noah, we fail. The idea that we can come down to earth and do things better, it's a myth. We are failed species. History would suggest we have no reason to think we can get it right the second time. Is that our destiny, though? Are we just destined to keep failing? Well, maybe. Maybe. I mean, if we keep trying to do the same things the same way, expecting different results, you know what Alcoholics Anonymous calls that, right? And do the same things the same way, expecting different results. What's that? That's insanity, right? If we keep doing that, the same thing the same way, failure will always be our destiny. Which brings us back to our question, what needs to change? What needs to change for things to end differently? Do we have any hope? Will we ever get to the ending, of the happy ending of Wally? And if so, how? Well, the Bible says that we do have hope. The earth, the earth does have hope. Our species, we, we do have hope. In fact, the, the, the book of Revelation gives us a picture of hope. Genesis is the, the first book in the Bible, and it describes kind of the ideal condition that we are created to enjoy, and then from Gen- the Garden of Eden, and from Genesis tells the story of corruption and sin and death and destruction, and then the story of the Bible ends in Revelation, where we have the, the, the garden renewed, Creation renewed. Uh, the Revelation describes the earth in a renewed and glorious condition. No pollution, pollution, no devastation, no trash. Genesis starts there, Revelation ends there. A picture of renewed and rebuilt Eden. Earth is described as a new Eden with the, the river of life coursing through a garden-like city with the, the tree of life at the center and all humanity will reside in this glorious recreated garden city ruling over the earth as we are originally intended. The, the book of Revelation describes this happy ending. Now given our perpetual failure though, how do we get here? Well, that's where the Bible and Wally are different. You see, the Bible doesn't leave out what Wally does. Wally skips to the end and leaves out something that needs to happen. What needs to happen? Here's what needs to happen. Here's the difference between Wally and the Bible. Sin needs to be dealt with. You see, sin is never dealt with in Wally. I know it's, you know, just a movie, but still, these things matter. <laughs> Humanity destroys the earth and never has to atone for their crimes. They just come back and start again. Oh, we're going to do better this time. Nobody pays the price for what they did to God's earth. But in the book of Revelation, sin is punished. Sin is that which is wrong with us. Sin is that which is wrong with our brains and our hearts, which leads us to kill and destroy each other and destroy God's earth. But in the book of Revelation, sin is punished. Sin is dealt with. Sin is removed. And it's the only way that humanity can get its new start. As much as Revelation describes our destiny to live together with God in a garden city, Revelation also describes the punishment and the removal of sin. In Revelation 11, for example, those gathered around the throne of God praise God for his judgment of sin. 
Here's what they say. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead. The time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. Who says the Bible isn't an environmental document? The time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. The time has come to destroy, by and large, and you and me for destroying what's his. You see, God's not going to just let us get away with destroying his planet. It's his planet. God's not just going to let us get away with destroying our bodies and destroying our marriages and lives. God's not just going to give us second and third and fourth and twentieth chances forever, knowing things are going to turn out the same. God's going to judge us. God's going to judge us for everything we've done to his beautiful earth. That's what's going to be different in the new Eden. Sin will have been judged. Now, of course, that's kind of bad news for us, right? If God's going to remove sinners from earth, we're all in trouble. Uh, We might not even get to see the ending of that movie. We're going to be in hell. I can't see the ending of that movie. Will there be Pixar movies in hell? Maybe Cars 2 and Cars 3. That's what we're going to watch in hell. (laughs) So we might not even get to see the end of that movie, the happy ending. If we're sinners, then we're part of the problem. But this is the other theme of Revelation. In Revelation, it's not humanity that takes the full brunt of God's judgment. It's someone else. It's someone called the Lamb. In Revelation, we meet a a heroic figure called the Lamb. The the Lamb is offered as a sacrifice for sins. His blood covers the sins of humanity against God and earth. We have no hope as a species except by the sacrifice of the Lamb. And it's by this Lamb, the sacrifice of the Lamb, that we can be forgiven and earth is restored. As the angels sing in Revelation 5, the lamb is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. It's by the lamb that we have any chance to live on a renewed earth. Maybe you know this, but the lamb is a symbol for something, right? The book of Revelation is also has a lot of religious sim, uh, symbolism. Who does, who does the lamb symbolize? That would be Jesus. The lamb represents what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He died for sins, and that's what will be different when the new Eden arrives. Our sins will be removed. We will be forgiven, and we will be led by a new Adam, a new Noah, a new Wally, who will not give in to lust and, and greed and, and corruption and, and drunkenness and rust. Jesus won't rust. We'd be led by Jesus, the lamb who was slain but then was raised to life and can lead us back to earth. So we can have our happy ending, but it's not just a second chance. It's a different kind of chance. It's a chance purchased by Jesus on the cross. And this is relevant to you and I right now. You see, God doesn't just want us to wait to enjoy the new creation. God doesn't want you to have to wait until the Lord descends from the sky to recreate the earth. He wants you to be able to start now. He wants to recreate you today. He wants to help you become a new and better person this morning, a person who loves others, who lives a holy life, who cares for the planet, and lives in godly community. But you can't do it. You can't keep trying it the same way. You're going to fail. We are all going to fail. 
We're going to fail. We're going to fail at marriage. We're going to fail at integrity. We're going to fail at parenting. If we try to do things the same way, we're going to fail. No matter how many times we got off the boat to try it again, we're going to fail. No, if we don't want to keep failing as a people and as a species, we've got to do things differently. And what does doing things differently mean? It means being forgiven of your sins. That's what it means to do things differently. We've got to be forgiven. We have to have Jesus remove our guilt, which he can do right now. Jesus died to give us a new start. Jesus died to give our planet a new hope. But it starts with our new chance, starts with forgiveness. So simple question. Have you been forgiven? Have you been baptized so your sins can be washed away? You can be. That's what we do here at Rooftop. We help people experience new life in Jesus Christ through the forgiveness purchased by him on the cross. You can start on that journey today by being forgiven of your sins today. Let us know if you want to take those steps. We can help you be forgiven. That's the only way that your life will end differently. That's the only way that you will see what the earth was always meant to be. As we wrap up, our Pixar series, I'm going to close uh, with one final scene from Wally at the end of the movie, which I'm going to totally spoil for you right now. But it's been out for 13 years. It's been on the calendar all summer, so <laughs> your fault. But at the end of the movie, uh, Wally gives up his life to save planet Earth. Mm-hmm, more symbolism. And Eve resurrects him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with new equipment and a robot kiss, Hollywood uh, after all, robot kisses are apparently very powerful in Hollywood. But, but with all his new parts, Wally doesn't remember who he is. He doesn't remember what he's learned about life and love and, and purpose. Eve has to lovingly remind him until he remembers. And I find the scene very moving. And I want to leave you with it. Why? Because sometimes we forget too. We forget who we are. We forget what we were made for. We forget that we are sacred creatures made in the image of God to care for the earth eternally. We forget. We just get busy living our lives, spending our money, making our decisions, and we forget that we are central characters in God's redemptive plan to rescue the earth from sin and decay. And that by Jesus Christ, we will be co-reigning with each other in God over all the cosmos. We forget who we are. But God sends us eaves to remind us. He sends us preachers. He sends us friends. He sends us leaders. He sends us churches to remind us that we are so much more. We are people created in the image of God, destined to rule the earth eternally with, with community, with God and each other. We are people who need others in authentic relationship. We are people who need forgiveness. We're people who need love. And we can have all these things in Jesus Christ. We can have all these things in Jesus Christ if we remember.